We're just, uh, just an hour south of us down in Batesburg. And uh, I encourage, if you've never been, uh, 7 o'clock each evening, uh, make your way down there. It'll take you an hour, no matter how many log trucks you get behind or you don't. It just always takes an hour. Uh, if you get stopped at the stoplights, the four of them that you run into between here and there, it'll take you an hour. You can't go any fast. It's impossible. I've tried every other way. It takes you an hour to get there. Uh, but that'll be uh, the 17th through the 24th. I encourage you to make your way down there for that. We're going to continue our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I hope your, your fruit is fresh. You're in, allowing the Holy Spirit to renew it in you each day because that's really what it's all about. Uh, and today, I want to, just once again, let's, let's read that passage found in Galatians chapter 5. You probably have it earmarked or, or uh, bookmarked in your Bibles, or you have it memorized. If that's the case, then just say it with me once again. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things or these things. Today our focus is on, if you were paying attention during the music, there was a theme. Uh, anybody pick that up? Anyone? Faithfulness, there you go. The first song we had was, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Well, what do you think of when you think of faithfulness? What's that mean? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, actually not a kid, yes, I was a kid, 20 years ago, 20, uh, actually 20 years ago this, this month, my family and I took a trip out west. We borrowed a, a van that a friend of ours had, one of those, it wasn't a 15-passenger, it was an 8-passenger van, and we took seats out, made beds in that thing, and we set out from Pelion, South Carolina, on uh, beginning of June, like June 7th or something like that, and we just headed west. We made it through Nashville to see my brother and sister. We stopped in Kansas City to see some friends of ours, um, and then we saw a Royals game there. Our friends bought us great tickets right there. Uh, then, that's back when they were almost good. Uh, then we went out to Colorado Springs where I was born. I uh, went there when I was two, and I hadn't seen it since then. Uh, so we stopped there, went by the apartment that we lived in while my dad was finishing up Bible, sc Bible school, saw the church that I was dedicated in, and uh, saw the Garden of the Gods and Pikes Peak and all that. And then we just said, where to next? Well, we decided, we took a vote, it was all four of us, and it was unanimous, we're going to drive all the way out to Yellowstone. Now, depending on the size of your map, it doesn't look that far away, but in reality, it's a long way away. Uh, we stopped and camped, and uh, I'll tell you about the time we, in the middle of June, we got down to uh, 14 degrees on a mountain peak over a, a beautiful alpine lake. It was gorgeous, but it was cold in the middle of June. Tent camping, 14 degrees, um, that we weren't ready for. Uh, then we, we drove all the way up to, to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and then we made the turn into Yellowstone. And the one thing that we wanted to see, we all voted on it, was guess what? What do you have to see when you go to Yellowstone? Old Faithful. You have to, and it's, we, you know, you, it's not there at the front entrance. You just have to drive a while because it's a huge, huge park. And we drove and drove and drove, followed the map, and then there was it. There was a big old cabin there, a lodge out in front of it, and then there's the boardwalks that take you out to Old Faithful. 
and the, there's, a, there's a clock there that says, okay, it's going to start here. And you're like, no, it's not. There's no way. How can they know when a natural thing is going to blow? Well, the ranger said, it's going to blow in approximately 10 minutes. And we're like, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've completed my freshman year in college, so I knew everything at that point. Uh, everything there was to know after your freshman year in college. Uh, so I was like, there's no way. It's going to be off. It's going to be off. And the ranger proceeded to do kind of a countdown. And we begin to see this psh, 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 every once in a while. And then right at zero, guess what happened? The thing blew. It was amazing. And it does that all the time. It's constant. It's always there. Every time they figured out how long between eruptions that it, it takes to build up the steam for it to spew again, and it's been doing that for years, every time, right on time. Absolutely amazing. It's always there. It's always faithful. It's always right on time. That's why they call it Old Faithful. It's full of what we call faithfulness. To understand what faithfulness is, you have to understand its root, and that's an easy one to pick out, isn't it? It's not ness, and it's not full. It's the root of this word is what? Faith. And what does faith mean? Well, in the biblical context, what it means is trust. Trust. Uh, which one of the stools is it? There's one of these stools, and we, we, we do it on purpose, that has loose legs. And I put it together, make sure that it's put together so when the singers come up here, they don't, they don't worry about it. Um, but one day, if it ever falls down, you'll know it's that stool. But I've never seen any of them do this before they sit down. It's not this one. I can sit down. Have you ever seen anybody do that? Robin's going to do that next week. Every week it's going to say, it's that, that one. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Uh, no, we just, we just sit, don't we? We trust that it is going to hold us up. We trust in it. I've, told, I've made this analogy before. I never saw, I didn't see any one of you guys check your seats before you sat on it. You have ultimate trust in your seats, that they're going to hold you. Now, have you ever had a, a, a seat betray you before? Anyone? Uh... You know, you're not so, uh, not so quick to sit down the next time. Uh, if you've ever been involved in a motor accident, a vehicle accident, you understand how that loss of trust really messes with you. Uh, basically, we trust those around us, don't we? For the most part, we trust those around us. It was the day after thanks, the Saturday after Thanksgiving in Kansas City. Gabby and I were both working at the hotel in downtown Kansas City within the loop where four interstates come together. And they figured out that they could make them crisscross by creating a loop down around downtown. And we were leaving, the, the, hitting the south, southward loop, and somebody else was coming from the westward loop, and they were in out-of-town, or you know those out-of-town drivers, they didn't know what they were doing. And they realized that their exit, they came on on the on-ramp here, we were coming on the on-ramp here, and we were getting over in one lane because our lane was going to end, and his exit was there, and he never saw us. And so we'd made it up to about 60 miles an hour when he hit us right here and made us lose control. Saturday after Thanksgiving traffic, uh, we crossed over four lanes of traffic, hit a concrete barrier, spun around, and we're facing the oncoming traffic. And everybody stopped. Um, 
that's another story for another day. It was, a, it was an amazing thing that we walked away from that. But I can tell you for the next year and a half, every time we got on the interstate, my wife cringed. She no longer trusted anybody else. She just knew that that person didn't see us. And she knew that that person was going to hit us, we were going to fishtail, and we were going to go into the concrete barrier again, and this time we wouldn't be as fortunate. She knew that every time. When we lose trust, it is a disheartening thing. It, it shakes you. It changes you. Well, for Paul, the guy who wrote Galatians, his trust had been shaken not by a failure of it, because he didn't realize there was anything wrong with it. And his, his trust had been up to this point in what he called the law. It was the Ten Commandments. This is the way you get to know God. This is the way you please God. This is the way you find salvation, by following every one of these laws, these rules. And he was a Pharisee, which means he was, he was really good at following all the laws. He was a rule follower. Uh, you know those people who don't like shades of gray? Either it's right or it's wrong. Either you're in or you're out. You know those people, and they point it out to you. You know, they're the ones who won't let you cheat in a board game. You know, they, they make you follow the, the actual written rules in Monopoly, not your house rules, because you all have house rules in Monopoly, right? Uh, some families don't because they actually follow the rules because they have a rule follower, and that how well this was Paul. He was a rule follower because his whole life was based on this set of rules. Because he knew ultimately this is how he would he knew God was through these rules. Well, he met Jesus one day on the road to Damascus after he was party to killing a couple of Christians and on the way to kill some more. And Jesus stopped him and said, "Well, your life's going to change from here on out because everything you've trusted on before is gone." It doesn't make sense to trust in it anymore because that's not what you place your trust on. I want you to base your trust on knowing me. And for Paul, that's all it took. That meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus changed his life in such a way that he no longer trusted what he could accomplish on his own through the law. Now he, he only trusted in Jesus. And then he writes in the beginning of Galatians chapter 2 this, But we know that God accepts only those who have faith in Jesus Christ. No one can please God by simply obeying the law. So we put our faith in Christ Jesus, and God accepted us because of our faith. For Paul, he realized that the only way I can really get to know God now, the only way I can become someone that God can bring into the family is by knowing Jesus. Have you ever known somebody? I, I love that phrase. I got a guy. I know a guy. Don't we love to meet somebody who knows a guy or knows somebody who can really get him in? Uh, when I worked at the hotel, we could have this thing called a friends and family rate. And all of us, there were five or six of us seminary folks who worked at the, at the hotel, and it'd be, we'd be very popular because if it was possible and if it worked that, way, that weekend, we were that guy. Because they could come to us and get a five-star hotel for $39 a night. We were that guy. It was fun. And you walked in and you had this piece of paper that you gave to the clerk and said, I got a guy. 
and this guy says that I can have this room for $39. And guess what they would do? They'd let you have it. Five-star hotel, $39 a night, the friends and family rate. It was amazing. Or for Paul, he realized that there was no way he could get into the five-star hotel by saying, you know, I'm a really good hotel stayer. I'm really good at it. I know what to expect. I know where all the fire exits are. I checked that map on the back of the door. I can tell you where my exit needs to be. I know what time breakfast is. I know what time checkout is. I know how much to tip the bellhops. I'm a really, really good hotel stayer. Will you please give me a room for $39 a night? And they say no. But then he says, well, I got a piece of paper that says I know a guy. Well, okay, that's okay. And it turns out that usually the people with the, didn't, that had that piece of paper knew absolutely nothing how to stay in a nice hotel. You know, they had no clue because they were usually students, friends of ours, who had never stayed anything classy their, their whole lives. And so they were trying to, you know, those are the ones who say, now where's the laundromat in this hotel? Uh, you know, those types of questions. Uh, room service, how does that work? You know, those, those, they didn't know how to live in a hotel, but yet they knew a guy. For Paul... He placed his trust then not in what he could do for himself, none of his credentials anymore. He trusted him completely in Christ. His faith and trust was in Jesus. Now, there's some benefits in that, right? There's some amazing benefits that come from placing our our faith completely in in Jesus. For one, you have salvation, which Paul just talked about. There's no other, way, no other way to God except through placing your faith in what Jesus has done for us, making our way to, to God himself. But Jesus himself said, you know, if, you, if I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'd move. Nothing would be impossible. That's the benefit of faith. If you just trust in Jesus, then all you got to do is look at this mountain and say, move, and it's going to move. Or in Luke, it says, look to this tree, and it would uproot itself and throw itself into the sea. But the thing is, I don't see a lot of mountains being moved. I don't see a lot of trees being uprooted and thrown into the sea. Mark chapter 9 has to be one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's one, for me, it's a a life story. It's one where I can place myself in the middle of that story. And uh, I just identify with with the story here. And in that story, Jesus tells a young father, anything is possible for the one who believes. Anything is possible for the one who believes. Anything is possible for the one who believes. The one who has faith. The one who trusts. That's really easy to do, isn't it? Well, it's easy to trust some things. It's easy to trust chairs when, you, when you've sat in them a long time, over and over again. It's easy to trust that when you flip the switch, the lights are going to come on. It's even easy to trust these days that the, when our light turns green, that the other one's going to turn red and they're actually going to stop. We trust that. But do we trust that anything is possible if we just trust Now, what do you mean by anything? I think Jesus said anything. So all of, let's, let's take a poll here. 
I want to give you a survey to see how big your trust meter is, how far to the green it goes. And uh, so how many of you can trust in anything? You believe that right now this morning. Anything is possible for the one who believes. Okay, how, how, many, how many of you believe? Okay. Okay, I want you to, to climb onto the, to the crow's nest there, and I want you to jump down. Dale, I saw you, you raise your hand first. I want you, I want you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have to be careful when we, when we say that. Uh, you can trust that God, and he could save you, Dale. Chances are he's going to let you dive your foolishness there. Um, Jesus said, I ain't going to do that. Uh, so we throw our hand up and say that we trust God really, really quickly. We are full of faith. We are faithful. But I think probably most of us are like this dad. He has a son who, in chapter 9, I, Jesus has been up atop the mountain with Peter, James, and John, met Moses and Elijah there. They had a grand old party there. Wonderful. Jesus has changed. He becomes, he's reflecting the glory of God, and Peter's saying, can we stay here forever? You ever had that experience? You've gone on a retreat, you've gone to camp meeting, you've, you've had that time where God really, really comes into your life and changes you, and you just want to stay at that spot forever? Well, this is where Jesus and Peter, James, and John were, and they come immediately down the mountain, and they see the disciples arguing with some of the teachers of the law. And so Jesus says, time out, what's happened here? And it seems that a young father spoke to him and said, teacher, my, my son is sick. And from the symptoms, we see, we see that he probably had epilepsy. And he would be thrown into these epileptic seizures that would throw him into the fire if he was near the fire. It ended up, he'd end up in the fire. If he was near the water, he would end up in the water. And this dad said, we have taken him everywhere. We've done all that we can. We actually took him to your disciples. And they couldn't do anything. Now, it's amazing that if you read earlier, a couple of chapters earlier in Mark, these same disciples, these same nine disciples, had gone out and done amazing things. They had cast out demons. They had healed the, the lame and the sick. They had uh, cast out de- They had done amazing things in Jesus' name. And here they were. This young dad comes up here and says, is Jesus here? No, he's not here, but we are just as good because you should have seen the things we did in chapter 7. We're awesome. Um, we can handle this. Little, little, little spirit here, we can handle that. And one by one, each nine of them, I'm sure, uh, went up to this boy and tried to do whatever they did back before in the earlier chapters to, to get rid of the spirit, and nothing happened. Nothing. So here there's this dad who has lost complete hope in everything, who brings his son to the disciples who are supposed to be able to do amazing things, and nothing happens. And so the teachers of the law are just wailing on the disciples, and the disciples uh, are wailing back on them, and Jesus comes down into the midst of this. And how often is it that we come off the mountain right into real life? Right into the midst of chaos and, and uh, circumstances and issues that we have to deal with. And I love what Jesus says to the disciples here. You know, we, when, when we failed, the last thing we want is somebody to point out, wow, you blew it, didn't you? What we really want is someone to come up beside us and say, you know, I know this was tough. This was a difficult situation you found yourself in, wasn't it? 
I know, and I realize you did this before, and, and we'll work on it. We'll, we'll work on it. Just, just give it some time, and, and we'll get him next time. We'll get him next time. And that's what we want Jesus to say to the disciples, because we're the disciples here in the story a lot. Um, but that's not what he says to them. He looks at them and says this to his disciples. You faithless people. He wasn't talking about the, the teachers of the law. He was looking straight at his disciples. You have no faith. You faithless people. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? The last thing Jesus wanted when he came off the mountain was to see his disciples miss it, to blow it. And he's saying, why don't you get it yet? Where is your faith? Why isn't your faith full yet? Bring the boy to me. And when the boy is brought to Jesus, uh, he actually goes into one of his seizures there. And so Jesus inquires to the dad, how long has it been happened since he was a child? You know, and if he's near the fire, he's going to fall in the fire. If he's near the water, if he's going to fall in the water. And I'm afraid he's going to, he's, it's going to kill him. And then he says to this, to Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And that's where Jesus turns around and says to this, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible for the one who believes. Okay, Jesus said, if you want your son healed, you have to believe. What if you can't? What if you don't have it in you to believe anymore? What happens then? What if you've taken your son to every doctor in your village and nothing? What if you've taken him to your mom, to your dad, to your grandmother? None of the, the homemade remedies work. What if you've taken him to the disciples of the one who's saying, believe, and they did nothing. They, they failed. What if, what if your faith is just empty? And Jesus says, anything's possible for the one who believes. You lie and say, I believe Jesus. So you can get your son well, right? Or you just say, I want to believe, I, gotta, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. There's no place at home, there's no place at home, there's no place at home. Okay, I got it. I believe now. No, I think you do exactly what this dad said. And Jesus said, anything's possible for the one who believes. The father instantly cried out, I believe, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but I still got a whole lot of doubt. I believe, but I don't know if I'm at anything as possible belief yet. I believe, I trust you, but I don't know if I trust myself to, com trust you to, to completely give my life over to you yet. I trust you, but I, I, I don't know how much. There's still a long way to make that up, and if you can work with that, then please do. And Jesus said, oh, I'm, oh wrong answer. I'm so sorry. Oh, I really wish you hadn't said that. If you, I mean, if you, Try really hard to believe. Go ahead. I'll give you a few minutes. Work on it. Try. You can believe. I, I, I trust you. You can believe. Try hard. He didn't say that, did he? No, what he said was, well, t let's do this. Go home. Join a Bible study. Um, 
memorize a bunch of scripture. This is a bunch. You know, I'm talking like whole books of the Bible. Memorize that. And by the way, I want you at Sunday morning, grow groups, Wednesday night. Oh, go to the meal too. Don't miss the meal. Um, and you're cutting the grass this summer. Uh, nobody else as you are. And oh, by the way, there's, there's, there's prayer on Tuesday at 6 o'clock in the mornings. You're going to be at that and at 5 to 7 on Tuesday nights. Trust me, if you do all that, then, then you'll have enough faith. You'll believe. Did he say that? No. You see, Jesus understood something that we don't. Our faith has nothing to do with us a lot of times, most of the time. Actually, it's not about us, is it? He's, he healed the boy. After the guy says, I do believe, but help me overcome my belief, Jesus said, okay, that's good with me. I can meet you there. Thanks for taking the step towards me. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to erase all your doubts. You don't have to have uh, all your questions answered. You don't have to be able to completely trust everything with me. Yet, you will, but let me meet you where you are. Just say you'll trust me and see what I'll do in your life. Heals the son. Oh, by the way, later on the disciples go and ask him in a house, um, Jesus, why, why, why couldn't we do that? Uh, why did we blow it? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer. Basically saying to him, you were trusting in you, and you forgot who gave you the power to do this in the first place. Your faith starts as a gift from God. The ability to believe comes from, not from anything you do, it's by saying, I want to believe. And he'll meet you right there. When we start saying, it's, my faith is based on everything else that I do, your, whatever else you do supplements your faith. Your faith does not rest on how much of the Bible you read. It's not based on your works. It's based on the gift from God. So what is this faith? I love the book of Hebrews, the way it explains it. It gives us that basic definition. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Say that with me. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I'm not sure I like faith. If that's the definition, I'm not, I, don't, I don't like it. Hope for means I don't have it yet, and not seeing means that I can't see it. But faith is being, is being sure of what I hope for and being absolutely certain of something I can't see. That's ultimate trust. My favorite movies of all time are the Indiana Jones trilogy. The last one, I got it, but it's, it's not as good. Uh, maybe I'm old school there. Uh, but my favorite of the three is uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It has Sean Connery as Indy, Indy's dad. And my favorite scene in that is, maybe you've seen it before, 
where Indiana Jones has to save his dad by going through one of those mazes that they, the, the ancient people made that, and he goes through and finds all these spots, and if he steps on the wrong uh, tile, everything falls out, and he can go into this pit, and then this, this big axe comes on and could, sm- could slice his head off, and he sees skeletons with out heads around him, you know, people have tried to do this over the years. And he gets to this point where this is, this, there's a door on the other side, but between him and the other side is just nothing but darkness. Absolute darkness. There's no way he's getting across there. He doesn't have, his whip can't get that far. He can't do it. He can't do it. So what does he do? He, it's actually what in his little plan, his book, his, the, the map calls the leap of faith. His dad's going to die unless he gets into that cave. So he goes back and says, Dad, sorry, there's a big chasm. I can't do it. And watches his dad die. No, he doesn't do that. At this point, and I love the movie, I love this point in the movie. He says, it's a leap of faith, 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 it's a leap of faith. And he steps out and steps. I'm not going to do it because... There is, no, there is no bridge here painted that look like the carpet. I would fall and break my leg. But he steps out and it turns out that there is a bridge that's painted to look exactly like the chasm from, from the entrance to that, uh, that cave. All you can see is chasm. But he stepped on it and then he goes across it and uh, afterwards he does do this. He grabs some sand and throws it across it so he could see it then. That's what faith is. It's saying, I, don't, I can't see you, but I'm going to trust my life on you. If there was no bridge there, he would have fallen to his death. But here is Indiana, and he steps out and trusts that there's that bridge that's going to catch him. Faith. That kind of faith makes you do crazy things. If you read the end of chapter 11, uh, where we get the definition of faith, it talks about uh, some heroes of faith. It talks about Abraham, who was 75 years old, and God said, go, you're going to have kids. And he went. It's crazy. It talks about Noah. Remember Noah? Oh, Noah, is, I know it's never rained before, but it's going to, so build a big boat in the middle of the, the land. It's crazy. And it goes on, and he talks about people who gave up their lives for this faith. They did crazy, stupid things because they trusted God, the one who called them. I'm reminded of uh, many of the missionaries, pioneer missionaries. Uh, We saw the video of William Carey, who left everything in England to go to India and struggled for years. Actually lost his wife during the whole process. But trusted that God had called him to do this. And if God had called him to do this, then he was going to do it. And he was able to accomplish uh, translating the Bible into 30 different languages in the Indian dialect and, and, and that region. Amazing things. This kind of faith that you put your faith completely in God, you completely trust God, you do crazy things like Phil and Ruthie Webb. You've met Phil and Ruthie before. They've been here. Phil was an, a very successful engineer with Michelin. He was set for life. 
you know, was designing stuff, was, was set, a great retirement. And they went on work and witness trip. And then they went on another one. And then they went, went on another. And then on that last one, they heard God saying, this is what I want you to do. And so you know what they did? They sold all their stuff. He quit his great job, his amazing job, his once-in-a-lifetime job. He quit it. And they volunteered. Volunteer means you don't get paid for it, right? They volunteered to be missionaries in Thailand. But God is doing amazing things through them in Thailand. This kind of faith makes you do crazy things. You know, I think about Allie and Nate. How many of you would, would honestly want to go to the Congo, not the DRC, which is right across the, the river from them, where everything's at unrest, it's one of the most dangerous places, and where even in their hometown, uh, there was explosions that happened. You don't go there, you don't give two to four years of your life unless you really trust God unless you are full of faith. You don't do it. You see, when you have faithfulness, when God says go, you go. When God says give, you give. When God says speak, you speak. When God says do, you do. Faithfulness is not so much about getting all the rules right, as it is having your faith based in Jesus Christ, and that basis transforms how you live your life. Everything is different because your faith is in Christ. Everything. One of the most challenging things of our, our life together has been the last year or so. For most of you realize, understand that we are in the process of pursuing another adoption, this time through Haiti. And we talked with our, our caseworker, the same one that helped us with Noah and Isabel. And uh, she said, you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, because it's difficult. Yeah, we want to do this. We feel God's calling us to do this. Are you really sure? Well, my job is to talk you out of it over the next few weeks. And she did everything she could to talk us out of this. Everything. We, you know, we've been through psychological. We are, we are psychologically sound. We're not crazy. We have papers to prove that. I promise. Um, an expert's opinion that says we're not crazy. At least not too crazy. And uh, we, you know, we did a 20-page survey about our marriage, about our, you know, we've done all this, and that was even the easy, that was the easy part. For the past eight months, we've been dealing with bureaucratic paperwork. And there have been a lot of times where Gabby said, yeah, we can't do this. And actually, her words are this, if this one doesn't work, if this, this, if, if this doesn't, if we can't get this piece of paper, then we're done. And I'm saying, just hold on. Hold on. God's called us to do this. We just got three more pieces of paper back this week. Uh, we've got to send one of them off, and we are that much closer to the process. And people would look at us and say, you've got two great kids. We've actually had families say, you've got two great kids. Why do you want to mess it up? Why do you want to spend your savings on this? Because God has called us to this, and we trust him. It's crazy. Yeah, but that's, it's not up to us. God's called us to do this. Every one of the fruit of the Spirit have not been about us. They've been for the benefit of others. 
And faithfulness is the exact same way. You know, somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching your faith. Uh, it was about two years ago, I was sitting in front of the post office up uh, by the mall, and I got a phone call. It rang from a number I didn't recognize, and um, a voice was on the other line, and I didn't know who it was. Uh, and he said, this is Matt. Is this Matt? I said, yeah, it is. And he said, this is, I can't remember his name now. I think it was like John. And he said, do you remember me? I'm like, you got to help me. You got to help me. He said, well, about 12 years ago, you were a counselor at camp. And that's where I gave my life completely over to God. And I want us to tell you that you are a huge influence in that. And I'm a youth pastor today, and I just want to say I wouldn't be here without you. And I'm like, now who are you again? I had no clue that this kid was watching my life. But my faithfulness influenced his faith. How full is your faith? How full is your faith? We're going to gather around the table, and you're welcome to come. In our church, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member to receive this. 